You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, my name is Tanya Pinkins, and I'm the host of the podcast You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. This fall... I have a special treat for you. In honor of my debut feature film, Red Pill, Marissa Lynn Daniels Studio has been hosting weekly conversations with my fellow Broadway colleagues and co-host Sierra Renee about the red pilling of America. These conversations create a safe space for us to talk about the things that are on our mind with an election and a global pandemic. So join us for The Red Pilling of America, a spotlight series every Saturday at 5 p.m. or on the Broadway Podcast Network, You Can't Say That, bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Join the conversation. Thank you all for coming to our next in the lineup of Red Pill Talks. We are here with uh, an amazing cast of people. First of all, let me just thank Marissa for uh, producing this and and coming up with this idea um, and supporting us as artists as we are in this crazy time that we're in <laughs> with Broadway being closed until May of 2021. Here we go. Buckle up. Okay. But here we are. We are with some incredible creators, first and foremost of which is Tanya Pinkins, who has won just about every kind of award you could possibly win. A Tony Drama Desk, Clarence Derwin, OB Monarch, Lucille Lortel, LA Drama, Critics Circle, Audience Choice Award, all of the things, and been nominated a million times for everything else. She's also a brilliant, brilliant um, activist and uh, speaker, and she's created so many opportunities for people, and now she's making this incredible sociopolitical horror film called Red Pill, which we will talk about just shortly. But I want you all also to know about the incredible guest artist that we have on today. First is Megan Miller. She's an American soprano with an active international career in opera, recital, and concert. Um, she's also been featured in the Met Operas, I don't know how to say anything in German, but <laughs> Die Frau Ona Schatten, okay? Bravo! <laughs> okay! <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Megan's the classiest person here and she knows lots of languages and, and it's great. She's <laughs> amazing. Um, we're very lucky to have you. Thank you for joining us. And we also have, of course, Jay Armstrong Johnson, who is a stage and screen star known for his role on Quantico, as well as his turns in uh, Broadway shows Phantom of the Opera and On the Town, as well as his, and I think maybe my favorite, um, star turn is Anthony and PBS's Sweeney Todd. I loved you and that. Oh, the silky tones. Um, <laughs> but I also just found out that Jay is creating a film. He's in, he's making his own film as well. Um, it's a visual Halloween album uh, benefiting Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Um, will you tell us a little bit about that, Jay? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm <laughs> super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, these discussions are so important. Um, but every year I've been doing a Halloween cabaret downtown in the West Village. Um, and this year is our fifth anniversary. And we were teaming up with Broadway Cares to make it a Halloween uh, event, their annual Halloween uh, fundraising event. And when COVID hit, we decided to turn our energies to the internet. And so we are creating a visual album, translating our live cabaret into a film. So think Beyonce's Lemonade with a little Hocus Pocus twist. But it's oh, <laughs> we love Hocus Pocus. Okay. And you said that people can go to blackflamecandle.net in order to yeah. watch it. Oh yeah. Um, it'll be all over my socials. It'll be all over Broadway Cares, Equity Fights Aid socials. Um, and we launched the film on October 29th and it should be on the internet for a while. So donate to Broadway Cares and watch some really genius artists do some pretty brilliant work. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Broadway Cares as well as Actors Fund. Um, there's lots of organizations out there that are helping actors during this time. I know we all are in similar boats with each other and, and employment and unemployment and all the things, um, but it is pretty substantial the amount of people who are uh, impacted and really not able to uh, unless you're doing everything online which you know we're all working on but the uh, Broadway community is definitely struggling and since we're not coming back until May of 2021 at the very earliest um, we're in for the long haul but okay I wanted to try something a little bit different today. We haven't done this before, but um, I love that we have these incredible people joining us who are so intelligent and have such interesting perspectives, people that you know and love and who are very talented. And of course, Tanya and all of the things. So um, I love that we're having these conversations. Like you said, Jay, they're very important. And I just want to like create just a little bit of a space with everybody here. So if you would, you can join me. You cannot. Uh, it's open. You're allowed to do whatever you want on here. It's your money. Um, <laughs> but um, I just invite you to close your eyes for a second and uh, just take a deep breath in through your nose. Release it out through your mouth. Let's do that a couple more times. Deep breath in through your nose. And release it out through your mouth. One more time, in through your nose. And out through your mouth. Great. Thank you so much. I love to just center that way with anything that I do, but especially when we're going to dive in and talk about topics that can be, you know, hot button, red pill topics. <laughs> so Tanya, why don't we talk a little bit about this film? Um, 
we're in the month of Halloween. We're in the horror month, I guess you could call it. <laughs> it is also my birth month. So sometimes a, a, October 19th is my birthday. Libra. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not I'm not a huge horror film buff. I definitely love horror films that have um, a story and are saying something, which I think is definitely what you're accomplishing, Tanya. So why don't you tell everybody um, a little bit about the film? Um, so it's called Red Pill. And Red Pill has a lot of different meanings in the world. And uh, the logline of it is the eve of the 2020 election, a posse of progressives ride into red country armed with heart, humor, and naivete. They should have brought heavy artillery. And <laughs> um, it's really about the kind of the blue-red divide. And um, <clears throat> I find sometimes that I feel much more in touch with America, the America that is America, than a lot of the people in the cities. And so some of my ideas about what's going on in my world, um, you know, living in New York City, people kind of always treated me with a little bit of contempt and like I had two heads. But I was very clear that um, our current president would win and had felt pretty clear that... Um, that, that he was gonna get reelected as well. And so instead of even discussing that with people who were like, what a ridiculous, you know, how stupid of you, never. Um, I decided to just take my thoughts and ideas and create something funny and scary and entertaining. And we shot last Halloween. That was our, the, the beginning of our shooting was last Halloween and the movie itself and story starts on Halloween. And um, at the time that I wrote it, uh, when people were reading it, they were like, that is so far-fetched. And now the plot of the movie is just everyday news. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to get it out. I'm here in Seoul, Korea, working with an amazing editor and the South Koreans do horror like nobody. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're just now been sharing it, sharing cuts of it with people and really fascinating the way the um, response to it falls along uh, gender, race, and, and um, cultural lines. What people like, what people find boring, what people find interesting, really specifically relates to their position in the American hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm learning a lot about how to take critique and how to... Um, really know when something needs to stay because even though it doesn't resonate with this particular audience, it's going to resonate with that audience over there or another audience over there. So that's been a big part of the learning process as we've been sharing cuts with people. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like when you were creating this as opposed to now, when you first created it, did you think this is my audience? And now that you've gotten it to this point, are you like, oh, okay, I thought that was my audience, but it's actually this this thing and I want it to be this or it feel, you know what I mean? Do you feel like you have a specific understanding of who the audience you want it to be? I think I, I always knew that it was going to um, split people that it was going to be kind of like get out where people were going to see different movies. Um, mm. It is definitely a black 
woman's perspective. And uh, I'm part of a black woman filmmaker collective. And it's, you know, it's some of the top people in the world, actually. And what's fascinating is listening to these uh, people talk about how some shows that I love, they start tearing it apart from their perspective, being in the room and saying, you know, they bring us in the room to because they say they want a diverse voice and then they actually don't want our voice. It's like from the perspective of all these um, black creatives, all of the this creativity that we get out of Hollywood is get out. They've put um, white skin, you know, black skins on white perspectives. So there was kind of nothing that um, this group found was 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 really, you know, um, sacred in the sense that they really honored all of the arguments that the mm. black creatives wanted. And so, so far, um, the, the black women who've looked at this have been like, yes, that's me. I know that's how I feel. That's what my life is like. And what that really means is nobody's listening to the black woman. She's telling everybody there's a problem. And they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, shut up. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Uh-huh. You're so extreme. You're so extreme. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew that it would be something that that black women would relate to. Interesting. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I also found when I was making my short film and still in the process of making it, um, but as I was showing a lot of my white male writer friends the script, they were very confused. <laughs> And then anytime I showed it to a person of color and especially a woman of color, she was like, oh, I cried. It was all the things. And I was like, I I actually didn't. And I think that's me coming from a place of being mixed and also having light skin privilege and being in spaces with white people so often. I, I really honestly was like, no, like I relate to you guys so much. Like you must be able to relate to what I've gone through and been through. Like I literally had a little bit of a blinder on and I was like, after showing it, to different audiences, I was like, oh no, you don't see my experience or my perspective at all. And, you know, and obviously this is, these are microcosms of macro issues and things like that. And this is anecdotal, but I, I was like that, that really did stick out to me that there is this divide of experience of, you know, even just our country. It's like, Black people experience it a different way than white people do and women versus men and gay people versus straight people and trans versus, you know, like it's almost like living in completely separate realities. It's not as if like, yeah, things are a bit different or I like things a little differently or prefer things. It's like a different world, (laughs) which is it's interesting and and a little scary, I think, Um, which I think we're all 
in this place now where we're coming to grips with how different things are for everyone. And I was wondering if Jay and Megan, if you guys want to chime in now, like what, what are you sensing? What's the sense that you're getting? Do you feel like the divides are growing? Do you feel like they're coming to light? Do you feel like there's a chance to bridge them now finally, because we're talking about it? Like what's, what's your sense you're getting? Well, for me, I have a lot of questions. You know, I, there was a lot of discussion during the Obama area era, lancing the boil and let everything out. You know, all these hidden things that were under the surface are coming out. But I'm not sure if we should see it that way. I I wonder if, you know, every bit of ugly discourse that happens doesn't lead to more emboldening of more discourse, you know? So is it more like neuroplasticity where we, you know, every time you do something, you become better at doing it and you become mm. less afraid to do it. So then if you get to spew your horrifying hate all the time mm -hmm. and other people hear it and feel comfortable doing the same, does it become then how we all are? Mm. And does that become our habit and our level or uh, is it very healthy to have this discu discussion all the time um, and really know what people are thinking? I mean, my part, part of me says, like, we have to know the truth first. We can't have the silent majority, supposedly, where people are all afraid to vote, uh, yeah. afraid to talk about their vote, but then do what they want in the polls. Mm -hmm. um, or only among trusted friends, you know, and then have a different face for everyone else. I have questions. I don't have the answer to that one, but I have a lot of questions I'm observing with concern. But then also, you know, when someone really tells me the truth, at least I feel like I know where they are. Right. I, I think a hidden truth is is more dangerous than, you know, which I, it kind of goes back to, I think it was Martin Luther King. He was like, you know, the KKK scares me less than the moderate, the white moderate, right? The person Agreed. that I don't really know where they stand, at least right. with KKK, I know what, right. what they stand for and I can uh, plan accordingly. But for the person that is underneath the surface and not really telling like, you know, nice to my face, but you know, nobody likes that. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> disconcerting. That's, I don't know how to deal with that. That's confusing. Well, and it's I dangerous. Like with, with you, Megan, I feel like the challenge is not that we would say what we say. I think the challenge is we have technology that actually magnifies and elevates the ugliest. Um, yes. I don't know if you've been watching The Social Dilemma and Agents of Chaos, but the algorithm actually is magnifying the worst in us because it finds that it keeps people engaged with the platform. So I think we do have to consider that because of the fact that this technology is, is doing that. It is going for the ugly and the dark and making it appear to be much more than it is. Well, yes. And I also know that advertising dollars these days are always going to the deepest connectors with certain topics. It's not the majority voice. It's the right. people who are most crazily involved that get under, that get supported. Yes. Yeah. Jay, what, what are your thoughts? Um, coming from it, uh, from an artist's perspective, it's like, okay, well, what am I doing? What art am I creating? Cause I, 
I feel like all of the education I've put myself since quarantine has started and since Black Lives Matter has really come to the forefront, I, I thought that I was this woke-ass white guy. <laughs> and I realized that, no, I was actually born in the South and I was raised by a bunch of racists. Um, and I have very deeply rooted racist ideals and ideas um, in me. And reading books and educating myself has made me say, okay... I was given this platform by Broadway. I was given this platform by ABC and Quantico. How can I use my voice with my 40-something thousand followers to then create change, to then to be a part of change, to start those hard conversations, to challenge my friends and my family that don't think that the Black Lives Matter movement is legitimate, you know? So it, it's, a, it's this idea of the media and we as artists are a part of that media and how the Black narrative has been given to us by the media since the earliest part of American media has been so twisted. <laughs> um, mm. And I've learned a, a lot of that by watching things like 13th and mm -hmm. reading the books like White Fragility and uh, like truly understanding what it mm -hmm. means to have and uh, have white privilege. So uh, that's kind of where I am now. Um, this idea of the pendulum swinging so far this way I mean, I can't tell you how many times my agents have told me, no, you aren't getting that role. It's going ethnic. And so that was just something that I heard over and over and over again for the last five or six years of my career. And so that was the rhetoric that I used with friends, which I didn't even know that that kind of rhetoric was actually hurting my friends of color because they're mm -hmm. saying, oh, okay. So then me getting the role the reason is because of this. Can you reframe that for me? So I'm actually realizing that this rhetoric I've been fed by my agents and by the industry and by the arts as a whole is actually not, it's actually hurting the cause that we think is actually trying to be helping. So it's, I'm confused right now and I'm trying my best to do what I can with what I have to keep myself informed and to like challenge the friends and family that I grew up with in the deep fucking South. <laughs> yes. Hey, let me ask you this, Jay, um, because, you know, right now we have a president who says that to talk about slavery is child abuse. Um, do you feel that this new education and awareness is harming you in any way? Oh, absolutely not. It's making me uncomfortable for sure. Um, I, I am on edge more than I have been ever when it comes to these kinds of conversations. But maybe that's what the Black experience has been for 400 years. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like all of a sudden I can have some empathy because I am the one that's uncomfortable now as opposed to an entire race of humans that have made themselves uncomfortable for my comfort. You know, it's it's... It's not hurting me by any means, but it is absolutely challenging me and making me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. Well, we appreciate you diving into the uncomfortable gray area that is learning something new. I mean, even just like a new skill, it's hard as an adult person to like learn a new thing and like right. not be great at it at first, right? And totally. then you add in the fact that we're in this moment that we're in with the president and with, you know, Black Lives Matter and with the pandemic, you add all of those social aspects on top of it. And also like cancel culture and, you know, all of the other things that 
to be wary of and afraid of, I suppose, you know, um, what the repercussions are of being incorrect. And which is why I think, you know, we're having these conversations here. It's like, how, how else are you going to know what is or isn't unless you go out there and you have the conversations, right? And I I hope that, you know, with things like this and and just in general, like, my hope with the conversations is that if we have them in a productive way with boundaries and goals in mind, <laughs> then instead of us practicing being the worst thing, right, we might just open up potentialities for being a better thing, hmm. if that makes sense. And I want to say that like one of the things also in getting feedback on um, Red Pill is that mm. um I'm, I'm so used to being uncomfortable that that's just a kind of normal place. So like there's a place in the movie, there's a, a people are talking about their baby and whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. And someone says, well, it might be a they. And there's like, oh my God, that's right. It might be a they. And <laughs> a bit of criticism that I got about it was like, you know, you're laughing when you say it might be a they and that might offend trans people. And I'm like, okay, I can take them being offended and coming to me and talking to me about it. The point for me is that they're included. We're including <laughs> that that is another perspective. So I'm not going to, I think for that person, they would have cut that out because of the risk of the confrontation, the discomfort of the confrontation. And I'm like, no, I'm going to risk the confrontation because for me, I just want to include that perspective. And for these group of people, they is new for them. So it is like, whoa, a they, that's right. We might have a they child, you know? And I think, I think that's the beauty of storytelling, right? It's not that we are at every moment going to be a hundred percent PC or a hundred percent, you know, including everyone and a hundred percent diverse and like that, that is impossible. And also not realistic, uh, like a, not a realistic representation of what we experience in our everyday lives. We're telling stories about real human beings generally or fantastical ones, but they have a basis in real humanity, right? Our core, uh, the things that really are our core and, you know, fear and sadness and anger and all those things. And on top of those things are the circumstances of people's upbringing, right? Like Jay said, like he came from a specific place and that informed some of his behavior and some of his thought patterns and some of the, you know, same for all of us. We've all been informed by that and also the way that the world sees us. So if we just start taking everything away and not, not ever risking anything or not ever just showing a part of the world that might not be the best or whatever, how boring is that going to be? <laughs> right? Like we're trying to, we're trying to actually show all of the things and then we can have conversations about it. That's, yeah. That's a story to me that I'm interested in. It's something that makes us ask questions and want to talk to each other about it. But as we've said, talking in, in this time period has been difficult, especially with the al algorithms making it so difficult just to even reach the people that you want to reach and, and talk to the people that you want to talk to. So um, one way that we use their voices is, of course, voting. <laughs> and I want to talk about this. Um, you know, as we spoke a little bit before, Jay and Megan, we were talking about the things that we're concerned about, and and voting was one of those things. Um, we want to be able to use our voices, but if we're yelling into an empty void or yelling into a, an echo chamber, or we're, you know, how do we know if we're really making any kind of impact? Um, and is it important to always make an impact with your voice, or can you just 
use it and, and know that you've used it. I don't know. So uh, Megan and Jay, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, what are your concerns around voting and the process and the usage of our voices? I'm very concerned right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I talk to friends and family, you know, there's just, there's so many different types of propaganda <laughs> coming to them about, you know, how they have to vote, you know, I'm going to go stand in that line. And even if I catch COVID, it's going to be worth it. You know, it's like, you don't have to be so afraid. You could use the mail-in system and you can trust it. You know, don't let all of this worry that has suddenly been created, Hmm. um, you know, disenfranchise you. And I, I think it's pretty clear actually that our elections have been functional beforehand to some degree because the amount of work going on to dismantle it means actually that our votes do count. And that's what I've been trying to tell people. If they're working so hard to make us so afraid, then it actually must be power that we have. Mm. But I think a lot of people are believing it. And I think a lot of people, um, I want people feeling disgust for the process. I worry about people throwing up their hands about who the candidates are, um, thinking it's not worth it to expose themselves in one way or another, either to intimidation or to the sickness or even just the, the inconvenience or that they might mess up with their ballots. Sure. Do I even try? Sure. What do I know? I don't have time for this, mm. you know, and, and I know that there have been a lot of things. I think I mentioned in our discussion, I'm in Pennsylvania right now. That's where I grew up. My father's home is here. And, um, you know, just in order to get my license renewed, my driver's license, I had to produce my original social security card. And it's such a barrier to do. And in order to do that, I actually had to go to a couple of different agencies. I had to pay some money. I had to ask about it. I had to have internet access. I had to have the desire and ability to do it. I had to have a car and someone to drive me because my license was expired. <laughs> you know, right. It was a huge thing. And I just think to myself, wow, Uh, And because I haven't voted here in an election before, I voted other places in previous elections, I'm going to have to show ID in this state to do it. So this is on its face discriminatory. There are so many blockades, and this is one of the easier states in which to vote. Mm -hmm. So it makes me furious. (laughs) And um, and I kind of want to scream from a mountaintop that you know everyone just go do it like if if they're trying this hard to suppress your voice then Mm. it means you have to scream louder Mm. i you know i was doing a little research on compulsory voting um because i the the truth is i feel like the best question is if if you weren't worried about everyone voting, like if you really cared about democracy and you wanted everyone's voice to be heard, right, then you would just automatically register any 18-year-old to vote, right? Like it would just be an automatic, as soon as you become an adult and you're you're eligible to vote, you would just become registered and you would do it. There are also, you know, there's more that goes into compulsory voting of like, you have to do it. And if you don't do it for four elections, like in Belgium, if you don't do it for four elections, then you could be not able to vote for 10 years and you get a fine or whatever it is, but you have to at least show up. And with that are, you know, other um, things that make it easier, like it's a national holiday and you know what I mean? So everyone gets off of work. So work is not something, a barrier because who can take off work just randomly all the time, you know, or if you do vote, you get a, you get a voucher 
in some countries so that you can say, okay, I voted and now I can take off of work, whatever your job is, I can take off of work one day with this voucher because I voted, which is pretty cool. I mean, I, I feel like if that system got implemented, we would have everybody voting, right? But you're assuming that it, there was an intention for people to vote. It wasn't. Exactly. You know, Ben said it at the last um, debate. This is not a democracy. It, mm-hmm. It's a republic. And at the time of the Constitution, people who owned slaves got to vote, you know, if you had 180 slaves, you got to vote 100 times because they counted as three-fifths of a person. That vote didn't go to the slave. It went to the owner. So that mm-hmm. person got to vote 100 times because mm-hmm. of their ownership of other human beings. Mm-hmm. So the system itself was designed to help a very privileged group of people. I'm Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. That was part one of this week's Spotlight, The Red Pilling of America, with guests Megan Miller and Jay Armstrong Johnson. Come back for part two and join us each week for another episode. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.